0: Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: God, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, everyone. So just to give you a little backdrop for the uh, conversation that you just heard John read, and, and more than a, more than a conversation, really what it was, was It was a trial, it was a little impromptu trial. Here's what had happened. There had been a healing on the temple grounds. A man who had been lame, crippled for a long, long time. Peter and John seemed to have been the channel through which God's saving and healing power had come and restored this man to, according to scripture, to perfect health. And this crippled man was not shy about saying what had happened. He was not shy about announcing and jumping around, even clinging to Peter and John. He was not shy about saying they somehow displayed this awesome power, this awesome authority even, over this disease of mine, and I'm healed because of it. And the people there who operate the temple, the people who have a vested interest in the temple being a place of religious authority and power, recognize that someone got healed, but it wasn't because of their power. It wasn't because of their authority, and they wanted to get to the bottom of this. Who said you could do this? (laughs) In whose power, in whose name, in whose authority did you offer healing on our temple grounds? So that was the conversation that was being had. I, I want to talk to us a little bit about this temple, all the way back in the in the book of uh, I believe it's Second Samuel. David says, "God, I'm going to build you a house," and God seems to push back a little bit. Actually, God says, "I don't really need a house. I do pretty well. I don't really need a house." But, okay, you want to build me a house? And there's a lot more to that conversation. Essentially, God says, okay, but you can start it, but it will be your son Solomon who finishes it. Finishes this amazing, amazing temple. Now, the temple, uh, finished by Solomon, restored again by a king by the name of Herod, and then completely demolished and wiped out by the Roman authorities and just demolished, destroyed. But prior to its being destroyed, especially now at the time of Christ... The temple was representative of the center, ground zero, really, of religious faith, the religious faith of the Jews. Ground zero. A lot of things happened there beyond religion, but this is where the power and authority where religion is concerned was pooled. It was pooled. This is a replica, some sort of a representation of this Uh, temple, let me draw your attention to a couple of things. In a sermon series entitled, well, it says, don't go there, but then we've crossed out the don't, right? And we've said, okay, this sermon series is about going to all those places that before perhaps we thought we couldn't go. The temple actually did embody the whole message of don't go there. There are a lot of places that you and I would not have been able, allowed to go at this temple. You see the larger building here. Inside of this larger building, you had the Holy of Holies. There was a sort of a sanctuary within a sanctuary there, and it was behind this massive curtain, as much as four to six inches thick, maybe 30 feet high, maybe 40 feet wide. Behind this curtain, there was the representation of the very presence of God, a perfect cube. And you weren't allowed to go back there. Only one person was allowed to go back there, hear this, only one person was allowed to go back there and have this experience of being in the room with God. One person a year, and it was a high priest, and even then, they tied a, uh, a rope around that guy just in case he wasn't quite good enough, because if he died back there, you had to have a way to get him out. <laughs> so one guy, you and I, we're, we're not allowed back there. Not allowed back there. In fact, only the priests were allowed even to get near that area, back in that sanctuary area. Matter of fact, matter of fact, women had to be kept even farther away. Women, don't go there. Can't go there. So there was actually a place, you know, as we kind of come out circles away from the holies of holy, holy of holies there. There was a, a, one of those circles in which men could go, but not women. And then farther and farther out, you you could kind of see the the pillars and the columns and, and the fencing all the way around. Well, none of us actually would have been allowed to go in there, none of us who would fall into the Gentile category. That was only for Jews. Only Jews could go back there. Here's a little bit of a diagram. You see this outer area outside of the walls. The Gentiles were welcome outside of the walls of the temple, just not inside. So in some sense, ethnically speaking, You and I would not have been allowed to go there. So far, so good? Just not allowed. Well, just how not allowed? In 1871, archaeologists uncovered uh, a series of signs that seemed to have shown up at different places along the outer wall, translated into Greek and into Latin. And this was the message of those signs. No foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade, that's sort of that outer wall with the columns and stuff, and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever, now the Jews, the religious people, are the ones saying this. God's people are saying this. Amen? (laughs) Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Don't go there. Do not go there. Now, The Roman authorities who were everywhere actually honored this. And as a matter of fact, if a Roman citizen were to transgress these walls, be found guilty of transgressing these walls, and if the plan was to execute a Roman citizen, Rome said, hey, you should have seen the sign. You're kind of on your own. And they would allow the execution to take place. The people of God drew their lines thick. They drew their lines thick, and they guarded those lines with violence and life and death. All right, to recap, no one goes where God is, where the Holy of Holies is. No one goes there, unless you're a high priest and you could go once a year. No one but the priesthood could even get close to that area. No one but men can even get close to the next area. And no one but Jews can even come onto the giant grounds. We draw those lines thick. We draw those lines thick and we guard them with lives. We guard those those lines with violence as well. How did God feel about these lines guarded with violence? Well, let's see. So you had this healing on the temple grounds. You had this healing. But since it didn't emanate from HQ, HQ was uptight, okay? Since it didn't somehow originate, and it didn't happen in the name and the power of the high priest, let's say, they wanted to get to the bottom of what was happening because here's what was happening, and they could tell it. Whoever this Peter was and whoever this John was, whoever these people were, whoever this Jesus was, there is a people movement here. When Peter spoke, and apparently 3,000 came to faith in one day, and this passage seems to indicate that 5,000 came to faith this particular day. And so the powers that be inside the temple said, this is, you might think, this is great, people are coming to the faith, but here's what they said, this is bad, this is bad. Rome's going to notice this. Rome does not like crowds, especially our crowds. And Rome's going to come down on us hard if we're not careful. And the truth of the matter is they're right. So the leadership gathers to investigate what's happened in this healing because we have lines to guard for heaven's sake. We have lines to guard. We have traditions that must be protected And anyone who transgresses our lines and monkeys with our traditions is to be brought before us. We need to get to the bottom of it. We need to hear their answers. We need to ask them hard questions. And if necessary, we will mete out justice and discipline to protect our lines that divide and protect ourselves and, by the way, our vested interests. Truth of the matter is, it was a pretty good gig to be in the highest uh, ranking places where this other faith system was concerned. It was good to be amongst the high priestly family. You're kind of a rock star. I mean, why not? I mean, you had all the power right there at your fingertips. You controlled not just the religious life of all the people who would come in and out of your temple courts, You really, because they did a lot of commerce, they did all kinds of things there. There's a giant Walmart right there. I made that part up. There wasn't wasn't really, but, but there was commerce, all kinds of things right there. They controlled, for all intents and purposes, they controlled life, but now it seems like somebody else was wresting this control away from them, and now we have this trial scene. They're trying to get to the bottom of it. So these rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem right there at the temple at H.Q., With Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. So all the big wigs, in fact, the biggest wigs gathered to see what was going on here with Peter and John and the healed man. When they had made the prisoners, this is Peter and John, stand in their midst, they inquired, Okay, how did you do this? Because we weren't asked for your permission. How did you do this? And and by what power? By what authority? By what name did you do all of this? Now, I don't have this for you. If you have your Bibles, I'm still in Acts chapter 8. But listen to what Simon Peter says, as according to the scripture, he is filled with the Spirit. He said, Rulers of the people. So he acknowledges their authority, their power, their reach. Rulers of the people and elders. If we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, these are fighting words. These are fighting words. And you need to understand something here. Simon Peter is not speaking on Simon Peter's behalf. The scripture is very clear. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Simon Peter is saying, how dare you challenge God with your temple rules? (coughs) Well, hang on a second. Before I read more, let's, let's stop right there. How dare you challenge God with your religious rules, your temple rules? That probably should be on all of our refrigerators. How dare you challenge God with what God wants to do. (laughs) With With what God wants to do, you dare not, temple or religious leaders, stand in the way of what God wants to do. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the way, whom you crucified. Boy, Peter never misses an opportunity to turn a bony finger right back at the elders and authorities and say, you blew it. You, you had, this was your story. We've said this a lot during this Easter season. There's a story. There's a story here of the the redemptive purposes and intentions of God, and it leads all the way to the cross. And the people of Israel were the carriers. They were gifted this story. They could have been a part of it, and perhaps they are and were still a part of it. Simon Peter said to them, this was your story. You missed it, and you killed the one you said you were waiting for. He never missed an opportunity to say it. Is it any wonder that they hated him? It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And now Simon Peter starts to quote Psalm 118. This Jesus, this is straight out of Psalm 118. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. It has become the cornerstone. Can you hear him say to the religious establishment of his day, something different is being built? Let let me say that differently. You need to hear Simon Peter say to the people in the audience that day, hey, this temple is great and you've really cleaned it up nicely. And there's a lot going on here. And it's built on, based on something that just doesn't happen to be this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And as it turns out, this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, but God raised from the dead, is going to be the cornerstone, the cornerstone of the new thing God is doing and the new structure God is building. And all God's people said... At best, that was half-hearted. Okay, let's keep going. There is, now, you hear more fighting words. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Whoa, whoa. You missed Moses. Hang on a second there. There. Mr. Big Pants Simon Peter, you missed a few names in there. There are some pretty incredible names. I and mean, we've got statues of people that you probably should have mentioned. At the very least, you should have mentioned Moses. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. And the person perhaps who would have said that the loudest is Moses. There's another way to say what we've been saying. Here's what we've been saying that there are some people who insist on living on this side of the cross where the timeline's concerned. This side. When you live on this side of the cross where the timeline's concerned, you don't live in the light of the resurrection. That's living on that side. You don't really acknowledge that everything everything changes here. We had some cues and clues. Jesus said some things that should have been warning shots to the people who had so anchored their faith in that and in the temple. Remember? Destroy this temple, he said. Remember that? And I'll build it back in three days. And let's let's acknowledge something here. Uh, The temple did play a role, and I'll even say a good role. I'll say a positive role. There was a point at which we could rightly understand the temple as that very important place of overlap between heaven and earth where God would have access to God's creation and God's creation would have access to God. The temple played that very important role for so long behind that curtain where the Holy of Holies was. This giant God-shaped doorway existed there, and there was somehow, in some way, there was the passage back and forth and God could reach us and we could reach God. But the lines that kept being drawn started to feel, apparently, to God like a box. And so Jesus says, destroy this temple and I'll build it back in three days because we sort of anchored in the wrong temple. If you needed more evidence than that. Do you remember what happened to that curtain? When Christ died, the temple ripped. Symbolizing what? What? I don't know. Amongst the things it probably symbolized was this. God saying, I'm not staying here. I'm going out there. I'm not staying here. I don't have to stay here. I'm going out there. And just fascinatingly, the book of Acts, the book of Acts, seems to push the gospel farther and farther and farther. Out beyond the Holy of Holies. Out into the temple grounds. And now we're going to see if we stick with it. The gospel is pushed beyond the temple grounds, out beyond the temple gates, out into the countryside. And we should have known that was coming too because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses and not just here in the temple. In fact, God seems to say, why don't I just make everything my temple? Yet the people of God want to carry their weapons and guard the lines still. (laughs) Have you ever been to the tomb of the unknown soldier? Those guards are serious now. I didn't try it, but I wonder what would happen if someone were to try to upset that apple cart. I don't think that would end well. I've been to Buckingham Palace at the changing of the guards. Those folks are serious as well. Very, 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 very serious look like Christians sometimes guarding the lines. I have really good news for you. God does not need your protection. Oh, no, nobody else thought that was good? Okay, I have one who thinks that's good news. Let me unpack that a little bit. God is, I think the Greek word is huge. (laughs) Powerful in an ultimate sort of way. Are you hearing me? Do you know this? Do you really think with your little pop gun that you're guarding God? i have thought a lot about this over this past week couple of weeks couple of months what are we doing with kids here what are we doing with little bitty kids here what are we what are we teaching kids here are we growing babies into little kids into teenagers into college students into adults teaching them how to walk and guard the lines is that what we're doing did we forget have we forgotten That God seems to have overseen the destruction of the physical temple? Does God need guards or does God need fellow artists? (laughs) Remember the the walls we talked about in the temple? Sometimes those walls took on nicknames. Um, The dividing wall was a fairly common one, the dividing wall. The wall of hostility was actually another way that those walls might have been referred to. Just in case you wonder where God's headed, just in case you wonder whether or not God is intentionally headed out of the temple, read this from Paul. For he, Christ, is our peace, and in his flesh, he has made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one, and has done what here? Has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. Now, old temple, you and I aren't allowed in. New temple, we get to go. And we are just as welcome just as welcome as anybody else now this gets better or worse depending on <laughs> how you see it Paul says this in Galatians there is no longer Jew or Greek there's no longer slave or free there is no longer male or female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus so you see this movement in Scripture. The temple, that place of overlap between heaven and earth, where God would have access and people would have access, there comes a point at which Jesus himself says, okay, the temple is no longer going to be that place where God has access to creation and creation has access to God. Good thing because they tore it down in 70 AD. Jesus says, now that place of access is, well, me. Remember, Jesus said, I am that temple, and I will be the means whereby you have access to God, and by the way, God will have access to you. It just doesn't stop there. Do you not know that you, church, plural word there, you, in Oklahoman, we translate that as y'all. I'll read this in Oklahoman for you, just in case. Do y'all not know <laughs> that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? All of those yous are plural y'alls. Now listen to this, and this is going to add to your responsibility list. You ready for this? In other words, the same spirit that filled the lungs of Christ that allowed this Incredible person we know as Jesus to be that massive overlap between heaven and earth, to be that access point whereby God would have access to God's people and God's people would have access to God. The same spirit that enlivened Jesus, the Christ, is made available to us, blown into our lungs. If you can't tell it, just look at Acts 2. That same Spirit is made available to us so that now the people of God can be the temple. But with a little different cornerstone. With this as our cornerstone. With this Jesus as our cornerstone. That's us, Easter Sunday. That is a pretty sanctuary. But the temple is seated in the pews. Does that make some sense? So the temple, the temple was famous. For its, di- its, its dark and thick black lines that people guarded with their lives and guarded with violence. It was just incredible. It was just incredible how, how violently they were willing to guard these lines. It was just incredible how much these lines meant to them. But it just seems that this Jesus brings on an era in which we are supposed to intentionally and quickly move outside of those lines. This is why I would submit to you, God does not need more guards. God needs more artists. A while back there was a a gun exchange in Alabama. Auburn fans were invited to bring in their weapons and they would receive Auburn football tickets. be kind of neat wouldn't it if we could convince the people of God to bring their guards guns in and pick up paintbrushes uh, John it's a very frightening thing that you're saying here it sounds like there will be no more rules anymore no rules i tell you what why don't we stick to the rules that Jesus claimed to be The summation of the law and the prophets. Anybody remember those? And those two were actually two sides of the same coin. And they go like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Some people think about that statement. (laughs) Those are the words of a hippie. Who perhaps does not understand how the world works. I'm telling you, I've told this before. I had an elected official, good Nazarene guy, look at me and say, Hey, you do your church thing and leave the halls of power to us. Now, here's the thing this love thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, is not offered is not offered as something simply to be needle-pointed on a pillow on your couch in your house. It is an organizing principle that orders our steps. It's the way we go about, well, everything else. Because it always keeps us oriented to the source. And I'll close with one last Analogy that I've used with you before. At some point, every Christian and every group of Christians has to decide whether they're going to be centered or bounded. Another way to say that is using um, agrarian terminology. How do you keep your herd? With fences or with wells? Turns out, Wells are more powerful than fences when it comes to keeping your herd. I choose the well. Wells are more powerful than fences. See here's the thing. If we find ourselves centered as opposed to bounded, and we always orient here, there are some things that we'll allow God to work on and work with. And I relieve myself of the responsibility to guard the boundaries. How do you want to be oriented? Every week, we work at this orientation part. Every week. Because you realize that every week, we rehearse a a selfless, sacrificial love that was so selfless and sacrificial that it cost Jesus immensely. We rehearse that. It's become a part of our regular weekly ritual. We say these things to one another because we, first of all, say them about God. Hey, let's listen as God says, no, you can trust me. We can orient around this love thing. But because we find it difficult, and we do find it difficult, me too, I need the weekly reminder that love is an orienting principle. I need the weekly reminder. I need these weekly opportunities to perhaps reorient. Or another way to say that is repent. To repent and reorient to the source and to let God care for the other parts. You know you're supposed to be coloring outside the lines, right? those hard, thick, dark lines that religion has the awful tendency to draw. You know that grace reaches beyond. If you don't know it, just all you have to do is read the book of Acts. Read the experience of Simon Peter, who himself thought faith was all about guarding the line until God said, no, don't call anything unclean that I have made. So eat and go with those people that before you thought were on the other side of the wall of hostility, on the other side of that line you've been guarding so hard. Go with them. And don't just go with them. Go to their homes. And don't just go to their homes. Go sit down and eat with them. This is a nightmare scenario for a good Jewish man. And beyond that, if that wasn't bad enough, baptize them into the movement Turns out Simon Peter, a few chapters after the one we read today, turns out Simon Peter would find himself having to answer for the movement of the Spirit. How good would that be if you and I were called on the carpet to answer for the movement of God? If you're going to help us today, would you go ahead and come down and prepare the table? Apparently, Jason's not going to make it. I don't know. He's Oh, but Jason did, in fact, finish the marathon alive. He did finish it alive, yeah. But he's not going to be here today to help us do this, so I'm grateful to have Aaron and Brittany working through all of this with us and so many of our folks helping us. We do not have the stations in the back because uh, we're just not very many of us. So everyone will come forward this time. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And by them, God, strengthen us to be your people. Give us the strength and the imagination to understand that the old temple is gone. Give us the strength and the imagination to understand that we are the temple that you have chosen Give us the strength and the imagination, God, to lay down the guns that we use to guard those old lines. Give us the strength and the imagination, God, to take up the artist's brush so that in and through us you can continue to paint the grand narrative that you do, in fact, plan to reclaim all of creation through love. And may we as a church be a centerpiece of that movement. As we receive these elements, God, fill us with your spirit. Not just with a piece of bread and not just with a little bit of juice, but fill us, God, with your spirit. So that we, like Peter and John, can speak boldly and testify boldly what it is that you are doing beyond the temple walls. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And you will exit your pew to the left and then come forward. Come forward, if you would, with your hands cupped, ready to receive this grace because that's how we do it. We receive this grace. We don't grasp it, steal it, swipe it, charge it. (laughs) You receive this grace as a gift. When you receive this piece of grace, that person handing it to you will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Immediately take and dip it into the cup. Someone nearby will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat right there. After that, I hope you'll find a place to pray. You can find a place to pray at the side, padded altars, and someone will meet you there to pray that prayer for healing. We believe in that prayer. And some very powerful prayers of that prayer will meet you there to pray with you. Or you can pray here along the front. I would especially love for anyone who feels this deep compulsion to guard and protect God, to bring his or her gun, and to take up a brush. But there are all kinds of prayers you can pray here today. And as a matter of fact, you can pray them at your pews as well. I know that. But if you do decide to pray up here, you'll find that you are not praying alone. Someone will put their hands on your back, back of your neck, your shoulder, your head, just to give you a tangible reminder that you are not alone. If you can't come to the communion table, then the communion table will come to you. Brittany's going to come and find you. Just make sure that somehow she knows that you need her to come to you. It was on the night that it was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of this bread, would you remember me? The same way after the he took the cup he held it up before them and he said and this is my blood the blood of the new covenant shed for you every time you drink of this will you remember me now all across the sanctuary if you would would you stand move toward these people holding these gifts of grace come with your hands cupped that which you cannot pay.
2: you washed me clean and i'm forgiven by your grace you spoke
1: Prayer, you'd like to make a move to any, either one of these side altars or any altar. You're certainly welcome to do so. Dear Heavenly Father, we are uh, painfully aware that there are times that we don't live in the light of the resurrection. That we don't live in the aftermath of the physical temple, that we don't live up to or into the promises you've made to us, that you would outfit us, that you would resource us and equip us to be the temple. God, you make this breath of the Spirit available to us. as a body, but also as individual believers. And we confess, God, that sometimes we just don't inhale. Preferring instead what we've known over what we're afraid might be. So God, fund our imagination somehow. Give us glimpses. us glimpses of what life can be like on this side of the cross and the resurrection. Give us glimpses of what it could be like if we would fully lean into our capacity of being the temple, the place where there is this great overlap between heaven and earth. Give us glimpses, give us eyes to see it and know it when we see it, and ears to know it when deeply and thoroughly committed to life lived this side of the resurrection, to life lived as the temple of God, give us the holy ambition to have to answer for your movement and leadership in our lives. God, we bring other names and situations to your attention, not because you don't know, but because we believe that there is something about your your heart that is moved as we cry out. And we cry out today, Lord, for those who are in anguish. Perhaps it's the anguish and the loss of a loved one. We pray for Linda Crow and Walt Crow, the loss of Iris Glisten. for those who are mourning. we pray for those who are in pain. All kinds of pain. And now if you would pray for someone you know to be in pain. Someone you know that needs a healing touch whether that touch is for a physical Perhaps an emotional, a mental, relational ache or a pain. Would you pray that God would heal? Continue to pray for June Adams, undergoing chemotherapy, to pray for Len Caprero, whose cancer has returned. just the race today, but along the route, as we all are trying to make our way through life, our prayer is that our city would see us along the way, clapping, shouting our encouragement, offering assistance. God, would you help us to be that, and would you help us to want to be that kind of resource for our city? God, we pray for the folks who ran today. Would you give them a sense of rest and, where need be, give them a healing touch? But may we understand that this day and this particular activity, the investment that we make into this race, may we understand it to be more than just about this day, but may we understand this to be a posture posture that we can take and should take with our city, one of solidarity, support, empathy, presence. Father, just shape us to look more and more like the people who can pray with a straight face the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. So church, we will pray it again today as we close this time of prayer. And as always, we will pray it using the language of debts and debtors. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power,